1: and dryer coverage just call 1-800-686-3910 that's 1-800-686-3910 again 1-800-686-3910 call now
0: and go for mike slater in three two one you're listening to mike slater part of the next generation of talk radio only on the blaze radio network
2: Best country in the world. Good afternoon. Happy Saturday. Thanks for being here. Uh, uh, broadcasting live this afternoon from Palomar Mountain, just outside San Diego. We are uh, roughing it out here on top of the mountain uh, for uh, my church's uh, retreat. We got a small men's retreat going on this weekend, getting in the word, having a really great time. Um, and I want to thank uh, the good folks at, at Palomar Mountain Christian Center for letting me do a little radio show while we're up here on top of the mountain. They have one place for an internet connection, and uh, it's perfect. Here's where I'm sitting, and it uh, sounds great. So uh, thanks to everyone at Palomar Mountain. Hope you had a great uh, last couple weeks. Goodness, this is, the f- I, this is the first week since uh, Christmas and New Year's and all the rest. It sounds like, doesn't it feel like that was months ago already? It was just a couple of days ago. Uh, but I hope you had a great uh, holiday and uh, ready to get back at it. But it's a tricky time. I always wonder when we get back from a new year, where do we start? Like I, you know, and and a given Monday, you know, just pretty much pick up where we left off, you know, my local show, whatever, you know, just keep going. Uh, But a new year, there's this pressure to start somewhere where you can catapult forward in a profound way. So what do we do? And I was thinking a lot about it. um, Last couple days before the week. And first off, it's going to be an exciting year. uh, What's Iowa is just like 20 something days away. So this is the year that we've been waiting for for the last three politically anyway. But politically is only a small part of our lives, obviously. And I think for everyone listening now, this year is going to be a year where uh, things are going to happen in our lives that we never expected and things are going to be happening that we've been waiting for for a very long time. And I'm just uh, grateful that we get to do it here together. I'm grateful for everyone at the Blaze Radio. Uh, wonderful family here. And i uh, so glad that That we're here together. I want to start the year off with with a quote and a point of context. Again, I don't know how to start the year, so (laughs) let's start with a quote and we'll start with a point of context and we'll go from there. Heard this quote the other day. I can't find the actual quote, right? I can't find the actual letter or writing that it's from, so it may not actually be from this person, but it doesn't diminish the quote nonetheless. Um, It's from Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards, uh, early uh, 18th century. Theologian, The Great Awakening, Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God was his most famous sermon. Um, also the man who my college dorm building was named after, strangely enough. Uh, so this is my quote for the, for the new year. And I'm going to take it with me. Uh, my wife and I have been saying it pretty much every day. Resolution one. I will live for God. Resolution two. If no one else does, I still will. That's how I'm starting off the year. And I have a feeling that that's going to be a theme for the whole year. The the last, I still will. When no one else does, I still will. Well, when no one else does what, whatever the right thing to do is, whatever the right thing to do is, I'm going to do it. And when no one else does that right thing, it doesn't matter. I still will. Now, that can mean a lot of different things. Politically, when no one else believes that this is the most important issue in our country, I still will. When no one thinks that it's possible to change this part of our our society, of our culture, of our political system, I will still fight for it when no one thinks that this candidate will win, I will still support them. Again, that's politically a small portion of our lives. The rest of our lives, when it seems like no one else is teaching their kids these values, I still will. When it seems like no one's spending their time focused on on what's important in life, what really matters, I still will. When it seems like no one else is helping other people, you know, helping people lift, lift themselves up. I still will. When it seems like no one else is honoring their, their wife, I still will. I love that. I, I still will. I'm not going to be deterred. I'm not going to be distracted. I'm not going to be torn down, run down. I still will. I, think, I love that song. I think that may be the theme of the year. I have no idea. We'll see how it unfolds. I still will. Now, The problem with that, if there is one is that that implies that we know what the right thing to do is, <laughs> right? We, you know, we need to know what the right thing to do is in order to still do it. How do I put this? It's uh, it's one thing to say I won't be peer pressured into doing what's wrong, right? Which is fine, that's good. I'm not, I mean, I'm not gonna be peer pressured into doing the wrong thing. But it's another to say, when someone's doing what's wrong, I'm going to do what's right. When someone's doing what's wrong or meaningless, I'm going to do what's right and righteous and important. And by the word, if you don't like the religious connotation of the word righteous, it just comes from the old word meaning right wise. So it really just means what's doing smart, uh, doing what's smart and excellent. Doing what's righteous is what's smart and what's excellent. So what is righteous and important? We got to know what those things are so that when people aren't doing them, we still will. And that's what I'm excited about for the year, exploring what that means. What are the righteous, important things? And then when no one else is doing them, we still will. So that's my quote for the year. I hope you like it. Now, uh, point of context, and this can get confusing and I don't want to spend too much time on this, um, so I'll go fast. Um, Starting from zero. Starting from zero, uh, I'm sure you've heard the the expression "Don't reinvent the wheel." Uh, no need to reinvent the wheel. You know, this morning when you made coffee, you woke up, you went downstairs. You didn't say, "Hmm, how how do you make coffee? Like how how am I gonna how am I gonna do this?" I got that, I got these coffee grinds. I, like what? What do I do? Oh, I got it. I'm gonna come up with a machine that heats water, and, and and the water gets hot, and then it drips through the coffee grinds, and and then I'm gonna have a cup of Joe. That's I gotta invent. I gotta invent a machine that you don't like, you don't go through that process every morning. You wake up groggy eyed, you go to the kitchen, and you use the same coffee maker that Gottlob Widman invented in 1954. You don't reinvent the wheel. You don't start from zero. Each morning you use and you build on the truth that has been discovered and articulated by the people who have come before us, right? You wake up, you go downstairs, you make coffee in the same drip coffee machine that was invented 50 plus years ago. All around the world, however, and right here in America, there's this pressure to start from zero. We, we keep wanting to throw away the past, throw away previous knowledge, throw away what other people have discovered and unveiled and start all over again. And I, and I find that to be as, as foolish as waking up every morning, wondering how you're going to make a cup of coffee, right? And coming up from scratch with a, with a new method of coffee making, right? You don't, you don't do that with it. So why do we do that with morality? Why do we start from zero with morality? We know the truth. Let's keep exploring that as opposed to throwing it away and starting from scratch. Why do, we, why do we start from zero with virtue? We know what it means to be virtuous and live a virtuous life. Why do we throw it away? We know what it means. We know what the best economic system is. It's capitalism. Why do we have to, why, there's always this, this desire to scrap it, start from scratch, start from zero. Every revolutionary movement that has ever happened in the world, started with banishing the past i don't want to give too dramatic of an example but why do you think isis keeps blowing up uh, um monuments and relics in the areas they take over right these places are thousands of years old why do they blow them up what do they care they got to destroy the past they want to start from zero that's a very i don't even want to say it's a dramatic example it's a um uh what's the word i'm looking for it's a uh Substantives, not the way like you can. They're, they're like literally blowing it up. <laughs> um, but you know, any communist or socialist revolution, they, they eliminate the past. They all do. It doesn't look quite like that in America. A lot of reinventing the past. Why do you think you hear uh, often from from people on the far left, uh, the, the colleges and whatnot, uh, that our founding fathers are slave owners? They say it all the time. Why? Why is that relevant? The only reason they say that is to undermine their authority. Oh, they're a bunch of bad people. They're not moral people. They're not virtuous people. They're bad people. They're look, look their own slaves for the love of Pete. That undermines their credibility, undermines everything else they did in their life, including our founding documents and the founding principles that they articulated in the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. And once they can do that, then if they successfully the left can throw away our past and start from zero. They eradicate the, 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 the concept of absolutes, the idea of good and evil, the idea of right and wrong, the, the, the con- the, just the, the fact that there's such thing as wisdom and ignorance. You got to th- throw all that away. There's no such thing as good and evil. There's no such thing as right and wrong. And I reject that. Don't do that. No, no. going back to basics is a good thing. It's good to go back to basics. But you don't start from scratch. You don't start from zero. You go back to the basics. What you know works. What has been proven to work. I got to take a break. one 933 93 Maybe I can give one more example of that because I know that's kind of, kind of out there. But anyway, one takeaway from this segment. Jonathan Edwards, resolution one, I will live for God. Resolution two, if no one else does, I still will. Let me throw it your way. What's that thing that you're going to do and even if no one else does it, even if the whole country, the whole culture, the whole, all of society turns against that thing, doesn't matter. You're still going to do it. What's that thing for you? I still will. I still will what? one 888 3393 Mike Slater, show the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word.
3: This is... Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network.
1: When our water heater broke down last month, it was a nightmare. It took five hours for the plumber to show up, and he charged us a couple of hundred bucks just to come out. Then it cost another $1,800 to put in the new water heater. By the time it was all said and done, I felt like I'd been taken and dryer coverage just call 1-800-686-3910 that's 1-800-686-3910 again 1-800-686-3910 call now
0: this is mike slater
2: it's really cool we were just chatting during the break so i'm on top of palomar mountain california southern california outside san diego not far from my house but it feels it's like an hour and a half from my house but it feels like i'm light years away um it's awesome there's no cell phone no cell phone reception and it was the weirdest thing there's 10 guys here so we got here pretty late last night and uh um, we're like trying to get connect to wi-fi like, what's the Wi-Fi password? Oh, it's this. this. Oh, capital letters, lower. Oh, I, it didn't work. Did yours work? I got it. Oh, I'm in. And, we, and then we realized, why do we, why do we want our, to connect to the... Like, what are we connecting for? There's nothing. We're right here. What if we're here. What do we need to... We're already trying to leave. We're trying to already uh, uh, men, mentally and emotionally leave where we are. We just got here. Isn't that weird? So we're like, oh, the heck with this. We just threw our phones away. Weird. It's awesome to disconnect, though. We're only going to be here a couple of days. I wish we could stay longer, though. You need like three days to really disconnect from things. Anyway, I want to. Uh, I got a few more minutes. I want to chat about starting from zero and and uh, drive this home a little bit more because I'm new to the concept, but I already see it a few times this last couple of days. So if we're familiar with it, we can obviously see where it's been done in the past, and we'll see it a lot moving forward the rest of the year. Um, Because when someone tries to do this to you, it's usually not for, uh, well, I don't want to say it's for nefarious purposes, but it's probably not going to end well. I want to quote from Tom Wolfe. I got a quick paragraph here. He said, in 1968 in San Francisco, I came across a curious footnote to the hippie movement. At a free clinic, there were doctors treating diseases that no living doctor had ever encountered before. Diseases that had disappeared so long ago. They never even picked up Latin names. Diseases such as the grunge, the itch, the twitch, the thrush, the scruff, the rot. <laughs> and how was it that they now returned? Think about that. These diseases are so old that it's not even called like, oh, uh, oh, yes, you have the syndrome.
1: No, it's just, oh, it's the itch.
2: So what are they doing back? It had to do with the fact that thousands of young men and women had migrated to San Francisco to live communally and what I think history will record as one of the most extraordinary religious fevers of all time. The hippies sought nothing less than to sweep aside all codes and restraints of the past and start from zero. Among the codes and restraints that people in the communes swept aside were those that said you shouldn't use other people's toothbrushes. Or sleep on other people's mattresses without changing the sheets, or as more, was more likely, without using any sheets at all. Or that you and five other people shouldn't take tokes from the same cigarette. And now in 1968, they were relearning the laws of hygiene by getting the grunge, the itch, the twitch, the thrush, the scroff, and the rot. This process namely the relearning seems to be the reoccurring theme of the 21st century in america so here's the other aspect of the start from zero right i think we all understand the starting from zero right we're going to throw away everything we've learned even basic laws of hygiene in this example we're going to throw it all away start from zero but then things go poorly (laughs) <laughs> they, they always will there's a reason why we learned all these things like hygiene like morals like virtue like how to treat other people uh like how to whatever we learn these things for a reason we throw them all away we're gonna go through that same uh problems that they had before they learned these things and that's what tom wolf calls the great relearning that's what we're in the midst of right now that's what this year is it's the great relearning um <clears throat> A simple example, common core math, right? How we learn math. How did people learn math 500 years ago? How did people build skyscrapers and bridges and launch into space without any of the technology we have today? Yet today, kids and adults in America are terrible at math. And it's because the last few decades and years with common core, everyone said, well, forget about everything we know about how to best teach people math. We're starting over. People used to learn math on a, uh, oh, gosh, what's the machine? Uh, um, oh, uh, it's with the beads and uh, the abacus. right Abacus, learn math on an abacus. And now we have iPads and we think we're so much better. No. Starting from scratch, starting from zero. And now kids don't do math. And we have to go through the great relearning. Something more substantially. We talk on the show a lot about what it means to be a man. We've outsourced so much of what it means to be a man. Of what it means to be masculine. And, and it's like, you know, when you wear a cast on your arm for six months, you take it off, and your arm is weak. That's, that's, that's masculinity in America today. It's weak. This is the concept of, of, of what it means to be a man. It, it's If it hasn't been under straight attack, which I believe it has, it's certainly been muddied and confused. For the love of Pete, uh, uh, a man won Esquire's Woman of the Year. <laughs> Right. Okay. So yeah, it's a little confused and muddied at the time. What it means to be a man. What does it mean to be a man, a husband, a father? We've thrown it all away in the name of starting from zero. And now we have to relearn it. These truths have been intentionally erased from our history and our culture. And we are starting from zero. And now we have to relearn it. Communism, Marxism, socialism, it's all starting from zero. Forgetting the lessons of the past, trying to start over. We got the answers right in front of us. That's the good news. Capitalism and the Constitution, that's it. That's the the, the pinnacle of the lessons of human experience. We're experiencing them right now. We think we're progressing when we go beyond the Constitution and capitalism. That's the trick. They always portray it as progressing, moving forward, past the Constitution, and capitalism but we're never going forward all that is going backwards all of it is going back to zero slowly painfully and unnecessarily going back to zero let's resist that urge and go back to what we know it works when it comes to morals economic systems forms of government until we go back to basics which is very different we'll always wonder why all those things are broken don't let people throw them away. We got the truth straight right in front of us. 188-933-93, Mike Slater show on the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word.
0: This is Mike Slater, part of the next generation of Talk Radio. On
3: the Blaze Radio Network.
2: You're listening to Mike Slater. Thanks for being here. The other day, I had the awesome opportunity to talk to the founder of 5-Hour Energy Drink. Now, I like to talk to business owners and entrepreneurs just because I like to learn their lessons and experiences and story and all that stuff. And if that's all this man did, then that would be a really fun interview. Just learning about 5-Hour Energy Drink. But 5-Hour Energy Drink is such a tiny sliver of this man's life. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a footnote. <laughs> it really, the thing that he created that made billions of dollars for him is an afterthought in his life. And you think, well, how, how can that possibly be? I'll give you the very short of it here. Um, he's taken that billion, those billions from 5-Hour Energy Drink, and he's investing them in creating world-changing technologies, clean water technologies, healthcare technologies, um, clean energy electron, uh, technologies. Here's one example. Um, he created a, a, and by he, a, a team of like 100 people, uh, created a, a bicycle that when you pedal it for an hour, it creates enough, electric, uh, enough electricity for a day. And it's four people in the third world. He's from India. So just last week, he went to in India and gave a bunch of these uh, to people. They cost $200, these bikes. And you can put them in your house and you pedal for an hour and, and you get enough electricity for, an, for a day for um, heating your house, for cooling your house, for obviously lighting, and for connecting to the internet and charging up your cell phones. Like we're connecting. There's 4 billion people in the world who aren't connected to the internet. It's most of the world. Um, so if we can connect a billion people in India to the internet and to the rest of the world. This is huge, absolutely incredible. Life-changing, world-changing stuff. Now, long-term, of course, people in India need a power plant, but here's the problem with a power plant. These people are poor. They can't pay the bills. But if you give them a bicycle, they get free electricity. Just amazing, amazing stuff that this guy's creating. Anyway, I, 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 the full interview we did with him is on our YouTube page. Uh, you can search for the Mike Slater on YouTube. Um, I don't think we put it on Facebook. Our our YouTube page is Here's What's Up Slater, actually. YouTube.com slash Here's What's Up Slater. And you can listen to the interview. It's awesome. This guy's amazing. He went to Princeton for a year. And and the next year he said, meh, this isn't really worth it. So he dropped out of Princeton and became a monk. (laughs) Like, what? He was a monk for 12 years. And here's how that changed his, his, the way he views the world and the way he views business. He said in college and in academia and politics, the incentive is to make the simple complicated. He said the goal in academia is to make simple things more complicated because that's how you get your papers published, you know, because it's, it's extra long and convoluted. That's how you get grant money because you're doing complicated things. And he says this is crazy. In, in monk school or whatever... It's about making life less complicated. It's about taking seemingly complicated things and making them simple. And that's what he's approached. That's how he's approached uh, the business world. And that's how he's approached this, um, these new endeavors he's doing. There's a documentary about this guy called Billions and Change. You can watch that on YouTube too. It's free. It's like 45 minutes. It's great. Billions and Change. But anyway, I thought about that. um, You know, when we're talking about starting from zero, and he doesn't start from zero. He, he, he just It's okay to make things more complicated, or excuse me, more simple. But by simple, you mean get back to the things that we know work, the principles that we know always apply, the universal principles, the eternal principles. Let's get back to those things. Let's make things more simple. But that doesn't mean we're going to throw everything away. And that's what all the revolutions in the past have done. They throw everything away, start from scratch. It goes horribly, and then there's a great relearning and that's where we're in right now the great relearning after our past after the principles after the virtues that we know are true have been thrown away things haven't gone well the last few decades now we're relearning the truth and that's why we're here together and that's really exciting anyway this guy's awesome here's what's up slater on youtube and you can uh, listen to that interview and obviously he he, he, we didn't talk politics but these are conservative principles that he lives his life by they're conservative principles You know the weirdest thing. So this may be a, this may be a tangent, but I have a, feeling, I have a feeling this whole segment's kind of a tangent. So I think of this man, and he lives his life so simply, and he's he's one of the most humble men I've ever met in my entire life that I've ever I've ever talked to. You know, I asked him a question. I said, "What do you want to be remembered for?" And he said, "Oh, I don't want to be remembered." <laughs> I said, "What do you want your legacy to be?" He's like, "Ah, legacy? That's that's stupid. I don't want a legacy." Like I said, "Okay." When you uh, bring these technologies to people in the third world, uh, and let's say a little girl who otherwise would have grown up in poverty, but now because of this bike you created uh, has co- is connected to the Internet and got an education that she otherwise wouldn't have had. And she comes up to you. She's older now. She's 30 and she's a doctor. And she comes up to you. What do you want her to say to you? And he says, oh, I don't want her even to know me. <laughs> He's like one of the most humble guys I've ever talked to. But I think a lot of people in academia and the rest would look at him and say, "Oh, what a what a what an idiot! What a simpleton!" And I think he would take that that title proudly, right? Yeah, I, I make things simple, but that's how we make things work, <laughs> right? Why Why is it that conservative principles, these basic principles, why is it that they're always looked at as uh, as stupid and therefore wrong? Why is there this desire to always make things more complicated than they need to be? What is that? Do you know Ted Cruz's foreign policy advisor, right? Senator Ted Cruz, foreign policy advisor, she just released a book. Okay, you think, okay, Slater, what's your point? You're trying to prove that conservatives are smart by saying uh, someone wrote a book, a conservative wrote a book? Oh, good. No. Um, there's not, I mean, there's nothing extraordinary about writing a book necessarily, except this book is on art. Victoria Coates is, is her name, uh, the foreign policy advisor. The book is called David's Sling, A History of Democracy in Ten Works of Art. She is an art historian. She has a PhD in art history specializing in Italian Renaissance from the University of Pennsylvania and Ivy League school. Okay, so art, art history, Italian Renaissance, PhD, and she's the senator's chief foreign policy advisor. <laughs> All right, what? She's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Never gets any credit because she's a conservative. Do you know this field for the Republican Party is unbelievably brilliant, probably unprecedentedly a brilliant, uh, a brilliant. Harvard law professor um, uh, was Alan Dershowitz. He said that Ted Cruz. His former student is, quote, off the charts brilliant. Off the charts brilliant. He said he's one of the sharpest students I've ever had. I've had 10,000 students over 50 years at Harvard. And Ted Cruz is among the brightest students I've ever had. And Dershowitz is no conservative. So you have Ted Cruz, who's off the charts brilliant, and his foreign policy advisor just wrote a book on art history. right? Yet culture, society looks at conservatives as the idiots, as the simpletons, as the backwoods rednecks, as the dunces, as the people who are behind or backwards, right? <laughs> what is, what is, where, where does that come from? And then, of course, Ben Carson, this goes without saying, what, if you sat down and I said, I'm going to give you 10 minutes to make up a resume, make up anything you want, Okay, your resume, make it up, you couldn't make up a resume as good as Ben, ben Carson's. He was the head of pediatric neurosurgery at Johns Hopkins at 33. He was the first person to ever separate conjoined twins at the head. He performs brain surgery on babies in the womb. Okay, it's like insane stuff. And both of these men are running for president. Now you got Donald Trump. Different kind of brilliant. Street smart's brilliant. But look at the enterprise he created. You can't deny that. There's a book I'd I'd really like to read. Um, It's called uh, Reagan in His Own Hand. Have you ever read it? It's a a collection of of Reagan's letters. And it was released, I think, maybe 2000, I don't know, 2001, something like that, a little bit before he passed away. And uh, Jay Nordlinger from the National Review, he was writing a a book review about it. And uh, he said that excerpts from the book, from Reagan's letters, were printed in the New York Times magazine. And he said that he got a phone call from an old friend of his, a friend who's super liberal, hates Reagan, thinks Republicans are idiots, whole thing, right? Thinks conservatives are awful, all the rest. So Jay got a a phone call from from this progressive friend of his. And the, the friend says, Jay, can you believe it? Can you believe how impressive these letters are? Right? He, just, he just read a couple of letters from Reagan. Now, this guy wasn't going to read Reagan's book, but he read it in the New York Times magazine. Right? So he's, can you believe how impressive these things are? They are completely at odds with the image that we have of him. And Jay responded with, what do you mean we? Right? The image that the left has of Reagan, that he's an idiot. And then they read his letters and they're blown away. Like, wow, this guy, this man's so brilliant. I don't want to get too political, but I heard someone say the other day that progressives can't admit that, opponent, that their opponents are anything other than Neanderthals because if they admitted it, then they'd have to give an honest review of the other side's ideas and that would be disastrous to their own. I don't know. I, don't, I know that was a little bit of a tangent, but I, I just find it interesting how in our society, the, the default knee-jerk position is that progressives have the thinking man's position on the issue, right? right? That, 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 the, that's, that's the smart person's position. Whatever the left wants is, is what the smart people want. And conservatives are just a bunch of uh, hillbilly Joes and toothless sallies who have their bigoted backwoods redneck position. <laughs> it's like, where did that come from? Be wary. This whole hour has been about be wary of people saying we should start from zero. Because starting from zero always is. No one ever says, "Hey, vote for me and and support me." And I'm going to throw away everything we know. <laughs> I'm going to throw away all the virtues, all the morals, all the values that we've ever learned. And we're going to start. No one ever says that. It always comes from an enlightened position, right? Oh, vote for me because we're going to. Uh, progress. We're going to transcend. We're going to move beyond. We're going to do things that have never been done. Right? We're going we're to. I'm the enlightened candidate. Be careful of that. You know, if I may, uh, one last thought. Uh, our president. And we'll talk more about this later when we talk about his town hall on guns the other day. But our president says that, you know, clinging to guns and religion is a bad thing. I think if if experience and world history tells us anything, those are two of the most important things to cling to. Sure, the enlightened position says otherwise, but I'll stick with the truth. 1-888-900-3393. Slater Radio on Twitter. Mike Slater, show the blaze. Radio
3: Network, spread the word. Mike Slater.
0: We'll continue in a moment. On the Blaze Radio Network.
2: I want to uh, ask you to put something on your calendar. Uh, make some time next week excuse me, yeah, next week, to watch a movie. This movie, I predict, will do more to hurt Hillary Clinton, Clinton's chances of becoming president than anything that's uh, been done before, any, uh, more than, than anything Donald Trump could say, more than the Benghazi committee, certainly, uh, more than any 60second TV commercial. This movie coming out next weekend. Uh, the movie is thirteen hours it 's a Michael Bay movie about the Benghazi attack uh, Michael Bay, director of uh, Transformers and Pearl Harbor and Armageddon and the Rock and just these big blockbuster movies and next week is one about Benghazi. Now, why is this movie going to be so harmful to hillary i mean she 's not even in it, which, which we 're going have to talk more about this coming up, but the reason this is such a big deal is because it's pop culture. It's out of the echo chamber. I, I think maybe, in, maybe the beginning of the year is a good time to just get this proper context. Very few people understand any of the things that we ever talk about. Very few people understand the things that we care about. Just a little perspective. The, the number one cable news show is O'Reilly. Yeah, it's like two, three million viewers a day. Two to three, something like that. The Bachelor has between six and nine million People just aren't paying attention to the things that we know are important. Now, to go back to our resolution, I still will. We still will. But it's very difficult to get this stuff out of the echo chamber. Most people in America, most people, like a vast majority of people, I'd guess like 90% of people, have no idea what Benghazi is. They probably have never heard the word, let alone know what it is or, or could point to it on a map or could know anything about what happened there on that day. But after a pop culture blockbuster movie with big A-list stars, a Michael Bay movie for the love of Pete, a lot of people are going to hear the word Benghazi for the very first time. And while the movie doesn't say Hillary Clinton by name, it's going to show Americans who want to go fight and save the lives of fellow Americans and a government who tells them to stand down. And there's going to be a lot of people who leave that movie theater with a lot more questions. And that's where all this talking about it these last couple years is really going to finally pay off because you'll be the one with the answers. 13 hours. Go watch it this weekend. I obviously haven't seen it, so I don't know it. I, but I, if it's anything like I hope, I think this will have major ramifications for November. Mike
3: Slater, show the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater.
0: Part of the next generation of talk radio. On
3: the Blaze Radio Network.
0: Slater in 3, 2, 1. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network.
2: Slater, America's America the greatest country in the world. Thank you for being here. Broadcasting live from the top of Palomar Mountain, just outside San Diego. Here for a uh, men's retreat, Bible uh, church retreat. Having a great time and taking a little time out here to... Uh, To uh, be together here on the radio. It's amazing. We get no internet reception up here. No no Wi-Fi, no cell phone. But they have one Ethernet cord. Plug right in, do the show from here. It's crazy. Um, I really, really don't want to talk about this. At all. Um, But I'm sort of taking an unofficial poll of people who have heard this story. And almost no one has. So, I think it's important to know. But... Just know I really don't want to talk about it. So we'll take a minute here. Um, This was, let's see, it's Saturday. So maybe four days ago, something like that. I read an article about this. And it was written in a tortured way. And I said, something's up with this. Like, this is weird The way it was written, the tone of it, the quotes from the officials, something's up. And then the next day, the the full truth was revealed, or at least much more. Suspicions uh, confirmed. The German authorities wanted real bad to bury this story, but they couldn't. So, Cologne, Germany. New Year's Eve night. I'll cut right to the chase. A thousand men A thousand, not men, they're not men, males. A thousand males were in the town square, the main area. And they molested, abused, assaulted uh, about a hundred women. Now, I'd say over a hundred, but there are 90 criminal complaints to the police department. And if there's 90 criminal complaints, I think it's safe to say that more than a hundred women were assaulted. Now, the women who were assaulted... They've all said that the males who did this were of North African and Middle East descent or background. Now, the reason I thought something was up with this story when I first read about it is because a quote there was a quote from the police chief that said, Now, don't blame the immigrants. And I was thinking, hold on, there's nothing in this article about immigrants or migrants or anything. Like, wh- what are you saying? Don't blame immigrants. Like, where did that come from? And then the next day, I was like, oh, they were all immigrants. Or, right? So the police department tried to cover this up. They didn't want to release this story because they didn't want to say that it was a bunch of Muslims who did this. One woman, or, or, or in, in um. Well, uh, two stories. One woman says that a uh, someone threw a firework down her back of her shirt, right, and she has these burns all down her back and all the rest. And then she was uh, assaulted after that. Um, but I, I guess one of the organized attack was that a guy would throw a firecracker into a crowd, people would run, and then the men, the males, would grab the women and and assault them as they were running away. Now. To kick up the story a notch, and and this is coming out more and more every day, it didn't just happen in Cologne. In Hamburg, 53 assaults. Stuttgart, two women assaulted by 15 men. Dusseldorf, 11 sexual assaults on New Year's Eve. Berlin, four sexual assaults, all from men of North Africa and Middle East descent. Now, we can talk about that part, obviously. But I just want to take a quick time out and talk about the cover-up. It has rings of uh, Rotherham, England. Now, Rotherham, a much larger sin if you want to play that game, of which is worse or whatever. But just a quick recap on Rotherham, a town uh, northeast of of London, and there were 1,300 children over a 10-year period who were involved in a sex trafficking ring in this town. Uh, The town was maybe 300,000 people. Police knew about it. City council knew about it. Mayor knew about it. Everyone knew about it. But they didn't do anything about it. 1,300 children in a sex trafficking ring in their city. And they didn't do anything about it because the males who ran it were from Pakistan. And they didn't want to offend Muslims and create an anti-Muslim backlash. That's the official report on what happened. That's, just not, that's not just my assessment on what happened. That's the official report as police officers were told by their superiors to not do anything about it. Turn the other way because we don't want to offend Muslims. Same thing here in the sense that the police did not want to tell this story because it was Muslim men who did it. Not only that, but the town is doubling down on their absurdity. They've now deemed this area of Cologne, which is in the center of town. It's right by the train station in the cathedral. They've deemed it a no-go area for women. Remember when no-go areas were some sort of crazy conspiracy, right-wing conspiracy thing? Right? The no-go areas in France, right? Right? Oh, there's no such thing as, well, now Hamburg, the center of town square of Cologne, Germany, a no go area for women. Not only that, but this is the big, this is the thing that ticks me off the most. Um, the mayor of Cologne, who's a woman, said that women need to have a, I'm not even kidding, need to have a code of conduct. And there's uh, four or five things in this code of conduct. And one of them is you need to keep an arm's length distance away from strangers. So it's the women's fault because they didn't keep an arm's length distance from strangers. It's the woman's fault as someone threw a firecracker into a crowd and they ran away as to not get blown up. And they happened to run into a guy who was arms open waiting to assault her. It's the woman's fault that she didn't keep an arm's distance away. That is outrageous. Outrageous. that's what's going on in germany right now and now there's backlash to that not only to what these people did uh but what uh, the town is doing right in response to it or not doing so there's backlash protests and 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 and, uh, events and all this stuff and now there are judges cracking down on people speaking out against it Right, So there's fines and probations being levied on people for, for speaking out against what happened in Cologne. And speaking out against the town for not doing anything in response to it. It is so backwards <laughs> and crazy and coming to a town near you. I want to share uh, a quick an analysis I've never heard before. It's from Tom Nichols. He is a uh, professor of national security affairs at the U.S. Naval War College. So he's a pretty smart guy. He's also an adjunct professor at the Harvard Extension School. I don't know what the Harvard Extension School is. It could be like Harvard Community College in Nebraska or connected to Harvard and Cambridge. I have no idea what the Harvard Extension School is, but U.S. Naval War College sounds like an impressive thing, so this is a smart guy. And I've never heard this analysis before, so I'm just going to put it on the table and you can do what you want with it. But he said for the last 15 years, We've been told. Well, let me throw it to you. Why do the terrorists hate us? Why do terrorists hate us? I remember two arguments in particular. First, because we've invaded their lands. All right, that's why Osama bin Laden said uh, did 9/11 is because we have military bases in Saudi Arabia, right? We've invaded their uh, Muslim lands. But that Tom says you know that can't be true because. These most recent terrorists live in our lands. <laughs> they don't even live in their lands. So what, I've also heard that terrorists hate us because of our freedoms. They hate us because of our culture. But that can't be right because they love our culture. One of the attackers at Paris, one of the theater shooters, he ran a, a dive bar and drug den in Brussels. They listen to rap music. Bin Laden had a uh, uh, an adult movie stash in his computers in his Abbottabad complex in Pakistan, <laughs> right? So they, they, they can't. It's not that they hate our culture; they hate our, They love it. So, if I may quote from the from the good professor at the Naval War College, he said, "Let's face it: if the jihadis ever managed to bring an end to our culture, no one would miss it more than they would." they would be heartbroken. These men are fueled by the most intense kind of hatred there is. Self-hatred. There is no accommodating or accommodation with self-hatred. Would-be jihadis lash out at Western society, not because they hate it so much, but because they love it so much. They hate us for who we are and hate themselves for their addiction to a culture and all of its pleasures. Sex, drugs, music, they've been told are the basest of sins. Too weak to resist the temptations of life among us. They hope that by destroying the source of the sins that tempt them, they will find redemption. He goes on to say, they talk a good game about life in Muslim lands, but it's hard not to notice how few of these noble young warriors choose to live in those lands. Um, There's a lot more there, but (laughs) I've never heard that before. I think it's great. I think it's brilliant. I think it's right. right. We used to say that they killed us, they hate us because we're in their lands, but they're not even in their lands. And we used to say that they hate us and they kill us because they hate our freedom and our culture, but they gorge on our freedoms and our culture. They don't hate us because they hate our culture. They hate us because they love our culture. They hate themselves because they love our culture. And as the good professor said, they're too weak to resist the temptations of it. one In the context of what happened in Germany, you know, you had these Muslim men or North African, Middle Eastern men drinking and, and molesting women in the town square. And we're supposed to believe that they're doing that because they're, they're, they're upset by the excess of our Western culture, right? Right. They're molesting women in the town square in an organized fashion because they hate our freedoms because we're in their lands. (laughs) They're not even in their lands. I don't I don't I don't think those reasons are true. They hate our they hate us because they love our culture. They hate themselves because they love our culture. One eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety-three Mike Slater show the Blaze Radio Network spread the word.
3: You are listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network.
2: A headline in the Washington Post, Germany springs to action over hate speech against migrants in light of what happened in Germany. So here's another good example. Um, When a Republican does something bad, a conservative does something bad, the story is about the conservative doing the bad thing. When a Democrat does something bad, the story is about Republicans' reaction to the Democrat doing the bad thing. Keep an eye out for that. You'll notice it. Similar thing here, right? The article, the headline in the Washington Post, the whole article, it's not about what the migrants did. It's not about the thousand male migrants who assaulted 100 women in one city and then all across Germany in different cities. It's not about that. The article is about people's hate speech reaction to that. (laughs) You're like, well, hold on. Why isn't the article about what they're reacting to? So just another example of that. I'm done talking about it. I, I don't. Just just be aware of it, and uh, it's not done there in Germany, and uh, well, not done here either. Uh, I got a few minutes. I want to get. We're going to talk about the the president's gun town hall the other day, which actually was pretty good. I thought CNN did a good job. I thought Anderson Cooper did a good job. I thought it was a pretty good thing. I thought it was just going to be a glorified um, you know, press conference or something for the president, but I thought it was nice. So uh, we'll run through, play a couple of clips, get some uh, some insight there. But I want to give you a little update on something we've been uh, we've been working on on the local show. So you might remember a um, story we did, Bryson, it was back two months ago maybe. And he has brain cancer. He's a sophomore at a high, in high school in San Diego. He has brain cancer. He's on the JV football team. And the JV football team decided to all shave their heads. Right? So we went to the game, and Bryson saved up enough energy over a couple days in order to, to get out of bed and um, out of the hospital. And went to the game. And everyone in the stands was wearing Team Bryson shirts. It was awesome. And all the players were in the middle of the field. And they did the coin toss and everything. And then Bryson went over to the team. And he's moving very slow. And he's holding hands of his players, his fellow captains. And at the same time, all the players take off their helmets. And they all have shaved heads. And then one of the kids says, "Uh, now you're one of us. Which is so cool. So we got that on video and made a little mini documentary about it. It's cool. We put it on YouTube. It got, a couple days later, it was on People.com. People Magazine picked it up, which is fun. And we loved that because it was just this, this beautiful moment of of hope and light and people lifting each other up. And it was a really great thing. And then they put it on People.com, so it was in the midst of just stupidness. <laughs> All right. So it was a Kardashian story and a story about Blake Shelton and, Miranda Lambert, and then this story of Bryson. So I was really, really happy that, that Bryson got that moment, and there was a little shining of light inside the ridiculousness of People.com. But then the good thing was, Make a Wish Foundation picked up on it. And they gave us a call, and they said, We want to grant Bryson a wish. It's like, oh, it's awesome. So they talked to Bryson, and the one thing that Bryson's always wanted is one Make a Wish. The one thing that brought hope and a sparkle into his eye was a 1966 Mustang. <laughs> Now he wanted to restore a 1966 Mustang. And I guess there's some make a wish byline where they can't give someone a car. So they reached out to us and said, can you help us find a car that we can restore? And we can help pay for the restoring and all that, but we, we can't give him a car. So I said, yeah, sure. So we called up, uh, one guy actually, uh, who I knew would be able to help. He owns a muffler store in town. Um, and we do a lot of work with military charities in San Diego and he's always there. He's an amazing man. Just one of the greatest hearts he has just tapped into the, this wellspring of his heart, and he's just one of the most giving men I've ever met in my life. So I said, Ed, hey, hey, listen, we got this thing, whatever. He goes, I'm on it. Two days later, I'm not even kidding. Two days later, we got a 1966 Chevy Mustang. Uh, a 1966 Mustang. So uh, we're going to give it to him in a, in a couple of days here, and he's going to be a part of, Bryson's going to be a part of the uh, the restoration process, choosing what he wants it to look like, what paint color, um, you know, all the different things. And then depending on how healthy he is, He can help with different restoration processes and all this stuff. So really, really exciting. Um, And the thing that that I love so much about it is it gives Bryson a reason to fight. Right? It gives him a reason to wake up and get up. The hardest thing for Bryson right now is last year, one of his good friends had the same brain cancer and died. So Bryson lost hope. But with this Mustang, he's given a, a new purpose, right? something to, something to fight for. And he wants to drive that car fully restored to school in <laughs> a year or two whenever he's healthy. And, uh, the good people of San Diego are going to make that happen. So I just want to throw that your way. And, uh, you know, just ask for your prayers and thoughts. And, and everything's fine. We don't need any money or anything. It's good people stepped up and did it all. But we're going to give you updates and we're going to make some video updates. And uh, I just can't wait for the grand reveal. And it's just a way for San Diego to say, uh, Bryson, man, we love you. Love you. We love your family. And uh, thank you for giving us hope. Thank you for giving us a reason to uh, have perspective and to fight every day like you have. That's what it's about. I told Ed, I said, Ed, thank you for for giving this gift to Bryson. And Ed said, Slater, stop. This is a gift to me. (laughs) He's given us the gift, the opportunity to do this. Oh, one last thing. Um, Ed, the guy who's spearheading this now, um, his grandson had open-heart surgery when he was four. So Ed's kids were the... First people to donate $1,000 to buy the car, right? It's so cool. People coming together like that. I love it. One eighty 900 3393 Want to come back? We'll get to the uh, town hall with uh, the president the other day, uh, with Anderson Cooper. CNN actually did a, a pretty good job with it, so we'll get to that. Uh, how much time do we have left, brother? Ah, oh, goodness gracious, 30 seconds. Um, I want to play. I don't know what to do. I don't know if we should do Taya Kyle or the rape survivor, or the sheriff, all who did a wonderful job questioning the president. Actually, maybe we'll do Taya Kyle because she did a brilliant, masterful job of talking about the Second Amendment in terms of hope, which is a powerful thing. I've never heard it done like that before. We'll play that one coming up next. Mike Slater, show the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater,
0: part of the next generation of talk radio on the Blaze Radio Network. later on the blaze radio network
2: Slide of thanks for being here. um want to chat a little bit about the president and his uh town hall on guns on cnn the other day uh cnn got to give him kudos did a pretty good job right, it could have been a glorified press conference for the president but uh they had some really good people ask good questions and uh kept the president on his toes anderson cooper did good too anderson cooper i want to talk about this in the next hour he said to the president he asked do you believe in the fundamental notion that a good guy with a gun is an important defense against a bad guy with a gun. Very simple, very direct question. Do you believe in the fundamental notion that a good guy with a gun is an important defense against a bad guy with a gun? And the president gave a tortured four-minute answer where he said, first, and he told this to a rape survivor. We'll play, we'll play the whole thing later. But he said, you have to be very well trained to effectively use a firearm. He said, having a, a gun in the home can be very dangerous and more often than not, that's a quote, more often than not, if you try to use a gun against a, a robber, that robber is going to take the gun from you and use it against you. Now, if those three things are true, now I would none of them are true to, the, to what he's like. Yes, you have to be well trained to use a fire, but you can be. Having a home, a gun in the home could be dangerous, but certainly doesn't have to be. And there's no way that more often than not a robber takes a gun from someone and, and shoots them with there's no way that more often than not that happens, as opposed to the person, you know, the, the victim using the gun against the bad guy. Right? There's no way that more often than not they steal the gun from the guy. But if those three things are true, like the president says they are, then of course he thinks you shouldn't have a gun. If it's true that having a gun in the home is inherently dangerous all the time, then it would be irresponsible of him to let you own a gun. If he believed that more often than not, a bad guy will take a gun from you and use it against you, then why would he let you keep guns? Why would he let you buy a gun? If more often than not, it's going to be used against you. So if he's being intellectually honest and logically honest to its logical conclusion. Of course, he would take away your guns and not let you buy guns because why would why would he let you keep them if they're dangerous? If you need to be very well trained to effectively use one, and if it's probably going to be taken from you and used against you, why would he let you keep them? Now, of course, the three things he said are, are false. Guns are not dangerous to have in the home necessarily. They're not. Uh, you don't need to be you know super well trained. You got to you know it's good to take classes and all that. Um, and no way, I mean, way more, it, it, obviously more frequently someone uses a gun and, and it hurts the bad guy with it than, than the other way around. But, so his premise is wrong. But um, if he really believes those three things, then of course he, he'd violate your Second Amendment rights. Why wouldn't he? It'd be irresponsible of him not to if he believes those things. Anyway, talk more about that later. I hope that makes a little sense. I um, want to play uh, the question here from a good friend of the show, Taya Kyle, wife of Chris Kyle, American Sniper. She asked the first question. Uh, I want to play this here. We'll break it down. But but just big picture, imagine getting up in front of the president of the United States on a pretty big TV set around, you know, 100 people. And they got all these cameras on, probably five cameras on you. And you get up with a microphone and you're talking to the president of the United States. That is a very, very hard thing to do. Uh, this video starts right after she says, um, she says, quote, the thing is that the laws we create don't stop these horrific things from happening, right? And that's a very tough pill to swallow. We want to think that we can make a law and people will follow it. But by the very nature of the crime, they're not following it. She picks up from here. Clip 55.
4: They're not following it. By the very nature of of looking at the people who hurt our loved ones here, I don't know that any of them would have been stopped by the background check. And yet, I, I crave that desire for hope too. And so I think part of it, we have to recognize that we cannot... Outlaw murder, because the people who are murdering, right, are, they're breaking the law, but they also don't have a moral code that we have. And so they could do the same amount of damage with a pipe bomb. The problem is that they want to murder. And I'm wondering why it wouldn't be a better use of our time to give people hope in a different way. To say, you know what? We well, first of all, actually, let me let me back up to that because with the laws, I know that at least at last I heard the federal prosecution of gun crimes was like forty percent. And what I mean by that is that there are people lying on these forms already, and we're not prosecuting them. So there's an issue there, right? Mm-hmm. But instead, if we can give people hope and say that also during this time, while you've been president, we are at the lowest murder rate in our country, all-time all time right. low of murders. We're at an all time high of gun ownership, right? I'm not necessarily saying that the two are correlated, but what I'm saying is that we're at an all-time low for murder rate. That's a big deal. And yet I think most of us in this country feel like it could happen at any moment. It could happen to any of us at any time. And I'm almost finished just when, uh, when you talk about the NRA and after a mass shooting that the gun sales go up, I would argue that it's not necessarily that I think somebody's going to come take my gun from me, but I want the hope and the hope that I have the right to protect myself that I don't end up to be one of these families, that I have the freedom to carry whatever weapon I feel I need, just like your wife said on that farm road. You know, I don't, the sheriffs aren't going to get to my house either. And I understand that background checks aren't necessarily going to stop me from getting a gun, but I also know that they wouldn't have stopped any of the people here in this room from killing, and so it seems like almost a false sense of hope. So why not celebrate where we are? I guess that's my real question is well, celebrate that we're good people, and 99.9% of us are never going to kill anyone.
2: That's awesome. She framed it as hope. So Taya Kyle's a believer and a wonderful woman. No, no doubt she sat down and thought a lot about this, prayed a lot about it. And, and she decided to take her time with the president and frame it, the Second Amendment question, around hope, about giving people hope. Why? She's basically saying, Mr. President, why are you not giving people hope? And if the, if, he's not giving, if he's not instilling hope in people, what is he instilling? I want to get to that, but one quick thing that she said as well. Um, You know, a lot of people will say we need to enforce the laws that are already on the books before we make new ones. And she threw a number out there, Um, and that's what she's talking about. She's talking about the number of people who lie on their background forms, background check forms, and are almost never prosecuted. If you lie on a gun background check form, you can face up to 10 years in prison. And in 2010, which is the most recent number I could find, 44 people were prosecuted for lying on their background check form. 44. And you think, well, that's, that's kind of a lot. 80,000 background checks were denied. <laughs> Those are the ones who were denied. not, I don't know how many people were, uh, were people applied for, you know, who were accepted or 80,000 background checks were denied and only 44 people were prosecuted. So Jim Baker from the NRA met with the vice president two years ago. He said, and now this is through his interpretation. It's, he said that Joe Biden told him, We don't have the time or the manpower to prosecute everybody who lies on a form, who checks a wrong box, or who answers a, qu- a question inaccurately. Now, I don't know what percentage of the 80,000 people who were denied, I don't know what percentage of them just checked the wrong box by accident or whatever, versus how many straight up lied on the form, but I'm pretty sure it's more than 44 people lied. And Taya's point is the laws that we currently have, that among others, aren't enforced right now. So let's do that before we go ahead and make new ones. Great, great point. Well done, Taya. But here's the big picture. She says murder rates are at an all time low. It's true. First of all, did you know that police officers killed in the line of duty is an all time low? All time low, lowest since 1887. Gun crimes are at an all-time low, fifty percent of what they were in 1993. Violent crimes lowest level since 1978, and all crime is at its lowest level as well. Isn't that amazing gun crimes, violent crimes, all crime lowest levels. And the truth is, if you stay away from the drug trade and where gangs hang out, you'll probably be fine. Now, of course, you can you gotta take precautions for your family, blah blah all that. But if you stay away from the drug trade and gangs, you'll be fine. And she's saying, listen, people think that if we're going to walk out of this studio tonight and a couple of us are probably going to get murdered. (laughs) That's just not true. But that's what people believe. People are not getting murdered left and right. So why do you keep instilling fear in people? You should be giving people hope by sharing the good news that crime rates are so low and stop giving false hope by suggesting that passing new laws will stop anything. Because, again, they wouldn't have stopped any of the most recent crimes that motivated the laws that you're talking about. They, and they're, they're not going to stop the 26 shootings, 26 people who were shot in Chicago over Christmas weekend. Laws wouldn't have stopped any of those. So stop giving false hope by thinking that signing a piece of paper will change a thing. I love it. What she's, she's talking about, empowering people. She said, I want hope. That's all I want, Mr. President. I want hope. The hope that I have the right to carry and protect myself and I don't have to end up being one of these families, uh, uh, victims or, or family of the victims. I want hope. And I want empowerment. This is my, my biggest dream for the Second Amendment. This is my biggest, my biggest hope. I wish that local police departments across the country would host gun training events For their citizens to attend, I I don't care if it's free. You got to pay, whatever. Why do police departments not want to empower their citizens? Why would a local police chief not say, you know what? I I, we've got a lot, a lot of great law-abiding citizens in this citizen in this uh, county, this town, this city. I want them to be empowered. I want them to be the first line of defense. So we're gonna have some gun safety classes. And you'll come on by and we'll go shoot at the range a little bit too. Just so you can be comfortable with a firearm. Just so you know the ins and outs. And if you have to pick one up for whatever reason, you know how to use it. Just so your kids know how to respect firearms. They understand that it's a tool. They understand when to use it, when not to use it. If they're really young, they have respect. And they know that if they go to a friend's house and their dad has their gun out in the garage, they know to go tell an adult and not to touch it, not to play with it. Why would a police chief not want that? It's the craziest thing. Um, I guarantee you. Doctors want people to know how to do CPR, right? Lifeguards want people to know how to swim. Why do police departments not want their, their, the people of, of their, uh, their town to know how to use a gun properly and when not to use a gun? What's up with that? Why do they not want to empower their citizens? Why, instead of instilling hope and empowerment, do they want to instill fear? Fear and impotence, leave it to the experts. You know, to tie back into what kicked off the segment with president saying, you know, guns are very dangerous in the home and uh, more often than not, they're going to be used against you. <laughs> they want to keep you in fear and they want you to be impotent as opposed to be confident and in control. And that's all Taya Kyle wants. She, she says, all I want is hope and the ability to protect myself and my family. Why would you do anything to deny that from me? Well done, Tay. one 888 I just realized because we're doing the show from uh, the top of a mountain um, and there's only one internet connection in this whole place, I don't have Wi-Fi, so I can't get your uh, tweets. So if you're tweeting right now and I can't uh, respond, I apologize for that. The only time we can uh, stay in touch right now is uh, is on the phone. one 888 900 But I'll respond to the tweets when I get back down to the bottom of the mountain. Mike Slater, show the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word.
3: You're listening to Mike Slater. On the Blaze Radio Network.
0: the next generation of talk radio this is mike slater
2: so pretty clear that uh the president's never owned a gun he said he never had but um well he says at camp david there's skeet shooting out back right and he said he like ate didn't he say he ate meat from a moose that was shot in alaska the other day or something i don't know. uh but pretty clear he has no idea what he's talking about generally i want to play the, we don't have time to play the whole answer that he gave to Taya. Because it's just, it's the longest, most boring thing in the world. And he does that on purpose. Um, but I do want to play the last little part. This is, this is part of his response to Taya Kyle, her thoughtful, eloquent uh, c- question about hope. And, oh, this, uh, and And this is what the president says, 57.
5: And we're also trying to close a, a loophole that has been developing over the last decade where now people are using cutout trusts and uh, shell corporations to purchase the most dangerous weapons, sh- sawed-off shotguns, automatic weapons, silencers, and don't have to go through background checks at all. And we don't know whether, are these sales going to, uh, you know, drug traffickers? Are they, are, we don't know who's purchasing them right now, and so what we're saying is, you know what, uh, that is something that we've got to do something about. The same thing is true with internet sales, where one study has shown that one out of 30 persons who are purchasing weapons over the Internet turn out to have a felony record. And guess, that's not something that you want to see. I think one question. All
2: right. First of all, you can't go on the Internet and buy a gun without a background check. Well, you can, but that's illegal. <laughs> you can do anything online if you want, but it's illegal already. All firearms have to go, firearm sales have to go through a licensed firearm dealer, and you have to do a background check on the whole thing. It's absurd. And then this whole trust and shell corporations what criminals are using a trust to buy an automatic weapon and then waiting a few months while the ATF processes their paperwork? Give me a break. And I I will remind you of a state senator here in, in San Francisco. Uh, Leland Yi, who was arrested for trafficking automatic weapons and a shoulder-fired rocket launcher from an Islamic terrorist organization in the Philippines to the Chinese mob in San Francisco. He didn't do that by creating a trust or a shell corporation. (laughs) Also, these criminals aren't going to go through a trust to buy a shot-off shotgun. They'll just saw it off themselves. Jeez. I love Clinton's analysis saying that this president clearly is a man who's never been challenged on this issue before. There's no doubt about it. He's never had to go deeper than just these surface arguments, which is pretty ignorant, obviously.
0: You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network.
3: And go for Mike Slater
0: in three, two, one. You are listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network.
2: Slater Crusaders, America's the greatest country in the world. Thanks for being here. Uh, Doing the show live from the top of Palomar Mountain, just outside San Diego, beautiful up here. Church doing their uh, men's retreat. There's like 10 of us here. uh, Right now they're uh, taking lunch. Doing a, little, a couple of little bit of prayer prayer walking that I'm missing, and then uh, we're gonna meet up and go zip because that's what you do. And then we're gonna go skeet shooting. We're gonna zip line down to the skeet shoot and then uh, get back to the, the Bible. But anyway, I appreciate you you taking some time here and um, chatting about some important things here. Talked earlier about uh, my resolution for the for the year, and and it's mine, but I, uh, I mean, but but it's yours, and I want you to because uh, the. If you change one word at at the end of my resolution, then you can completely make it your own, and and it's customizable, fully customizable. Um, Why don't I just tell you what it is? It's it's a quote from John Edwards. Now, I don't know if it's really from John Edwards because I can't find it anywhere he actually said it in his writings or letters. But regardless, um, Jonathan Edwards, 1700s, early 1700s theologian, sinners in the hand of an angry God, uh, the Great Awakening. He said, resolution one. I will live for God. Resolution two, when no one else does, I still will. When no one else does, I still will. So the question is, when, what, what is it you're going to do that when no one else does it, you still will? What is it that's so important to you, so meaningful, so righteous, so important that you will do it no matter what? And when no one else does, you still will. That's my resolution for the year. I still will. I think it's going to be the theme of the show for the year, actually. We'll see how it pops up. We'll see how it unfolds. I still will. That's how we kicked off the show. You can check it all out at theblaze.com slash radio. I'm not going to recap everything. Uh, I want to move on here with with guns. We've been talking about the president's town hall on guns the other day with Anderson Cooper. And CNN did a really good job. I was uh, pretty impressed with how they put it together. I thought it was going to be just a glorified. Because, you know, you heard news reports before it that said it's invite only. So I'm thinking, ah, geez, they're just going to invite, you know, Obama supporters and blah, blah. Uh, It's going to be like a campaign stop, basically. But no, they had Taya Kyle we've been talking about, wife of Chris Kyle, American Sniper, good friend of the show. They had a rape survivor, they had, uh, a sheriff on. I mean, it was really good. They did a really good job. Um, I want to play this clip here. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, I may have uh, given you the wrong clip here, Flip. Uh, 58. Um, I actually think it was the second video on that page, not the first one. Let's, let's hear what you got on, on, uh, with clip 58.
0: Is it fair to call it a conspiracy? I mean,
5: well, yeah. there's a lot of people really believe this deeply, that they just don't no, no, they just don't yeah. trust you. I'm, I'm sorry, Cooper. Yes, it is fair to call it a conspiracy. What, what, what are you saying? Are, are, the, uh, I, are you suggesting that the notion that uh, we are creating a plot to take everybody's guns away so that we can impose martial but, law but a is lot of a people. conspiracy? Yes, there's, that is a conspiracy. I would hope that you would agree with that. Is that controversial, <laughs> except you know, on some websites certainly around a, the
0: country? There are certainly a lot of people who just have a fundamental distrust that you do not want to get f- go further and further and further yeah, down this well, road.
5: Look, I, I, I mean, I, I'm only going to be here for another year. I, 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 I don't know, what, when, when would I have started on this uh, enterprise, right? <laughs> I, I, I come from uh, the state of Illinois, which... We, we've been talking about Chicago, but downstate Illinois is, is closer to Kentucky than it is to Chicago. And everybody hunts down there. Uh, and a lot of folks own guns. And so this is not, like, alien territory to me. Yes, it is a, it is a false notion that I believe is circulated for either political reasons or commercial reasons, in order to prevent a coming together among people of goodwill to develop common-sense rules that will make us safer while preserving the Second Amendment. And the notion that we can't agree on some things while not agreeing on others, uh, and the reason for that is because, well, the President secretly wants to do X, Uh, it would mean that we'd be paralyzed about doing everything. I I, I mean, maybe when I propose to make sure that, you know, uh, unsafe drugs are taken off the market, that secretly I'm trying to control the entire drug industry or take people's drugs away, but probably not. Uh, what, what's more likely is I just want to make sure that people are not dying uh, by taking bad drugs.
2: This is Marco Rubio on The Blaze the other day, clip 59.
3: One of the things the left struggles with, the Second Amendment is not some law we passed. It is in the Constitution. It is a constitutionally protected right. And that means if you are going to do anything that touches upon it or infringes upon it, you have to pass a very high
2: bar. And they're not passing that high bar on the things they're proposing. They are obsessed with gun control because here's the truth. If the left had their way, they'll never admit this because they don't have the votes to do it. They don't have the
1: public support to do it. But if they could confiscate guns, they would. If they could ban people from buying guns, they would.
2: And I don't have this clip on me. Maybe, guys, you can find it. But there's a video clip from 1995 of Dianne Feinstein, senator from California, uh, saying that exact same thing. She says... We don't have the votes for it, but I want to ban this these guns from. Right? It's so there's no conspiracy here. There's no doubt in my mind that if they could, they'd ban people from having guns. There's no, there's absolutely. California Senator Dianne Feinstein worked for more than a year well done, to guys. get the
4: assault weapons there bill passed in the face of ferocious opposition from the there National Rifle Association. She says she comes. got the best she could. If I could have gotten 51 votes in the Senate of the United States for an outright ban picking up every one of them, Mr. and Mrs. America, turn them all in, I would have done it. I could not do that. The votes weren't here.
2: I I just don't know where this conspiracy comes from. (laughs) What, what, what What? So, like, my mom thinks Barack Obama hung the moon. She hates guns and she would probably ban people from buying guns if she could right in this dream world this fantasy land that they're living in because they don't want to just keep guns out of the hands of bad people in their world gun a gun is bad a a gun is a bad thing did we not talk about oh i'm sorry no did we i don't know if we did this is our first week back gosh i feel like we've been back a couple weeks not just since uh, since uh one week since christmas so I made a video on YouTube. It's on our Facebook page, actually. You can search for the Mike Slater Show on Facebook and find it there. I think it's three videos back. Uh, But it's right there on the front page. And I talk about how the left needs to ban guns. There's only one way that they'll be able to ban guns in America. And that is to make guns immoral and unmasculine. They need to make them immoral to own. And they need to make them unmasculine. And they've been trying to do this in different ways. Now, it's the only way that they'll be able to ban gun use in America. They have to change the culture first and the laws after. They have to do, and I may, I've outlined this in the video, they have to do the same thing that they, uh, the, the people behind Mothers Against Drunk Driving did. Mothers Against Drunk Driving in 1980, when uh, this woman's uh, Christina Leitner, Light, Light, um, her daughter died in a, uh, by a repeat drunk driver. Drunk driving in many states wasn't against the law, and there wasn't as much of a cultural uh, attack against it. So she changed the culture doing different things, and then the laws followed. So the anti gun people need to do the same thing. Not that I'm in the business of giving people on the left advice, but they need to change the culture first, and they're trying to do it in some different ways. But passing laws first isn't going to do it because guns are so deeply ingrained in American culture. And I explained that in the video as well. Again, you can go search for the Mike Slater show on Facebook and watch. It's like three minutes. So deeply ingrained in American culture and for good reason. And also the left, they don't, they want to live in a fantasy land where they can uninvent something. Bottom line, there's a fundamental difference here on how we solve a problem. The left wants to ban guns, right? We know it. I don't think the solution is necessarily more guns, because that's how we're often characterized. Like, Oh, Republicans, conservatives, you just want more guns. No, not more guns. As much as a better understanding of guns. I want a better understanding of guns. I want a greater respect for guns, and I want less fear of guns. The left, they want to solve the problem with guns in America. Uh, w- with the easy way out, the, the quick fix, the simple solution, ban them. Confiscate them, which they'll never admit they want to do. But Hillary Clinton says that they wanted, uh, we should do what Australia did a couple of years back. And what they did a couple of years back was gun confiscation. So <laughs> there it is. Should we take a break? I'm sorry, I didn't realize how late it was. Um, I want to come back. With an email I received. What's the day? The 9th? I received it two years ago yesterday. Probably one of the top 10 emails I've ever received. I read it about once or twice a year. Comes up in conversation. This is my solution. This is my suggestion. On how to ha- make a safer country. It's not mine. It's Patrick's. <laughs> but I'll, I'm, I stole it from him. I'll read this email Coming up next, we'll uh, end up our uh, gun conversation here. There's one other point I want to make about um, something totally different, we'll one on, on a higher note. Uh, but one last gun segment coming up next, Mike Slater show the Blaze Radio.
3: the word,
0: Mike Slater
3: on the Blaze Radio Network. <laughs>
0: Slater on the Blaze Radio Network.
2: Slater how about technology today? I'm on top of a mountain in uh, San Diego. Grayson is in Mesa, Arizona, and you're where you are, and we're all together. It's beautiful. Grayson, how are you, brother? Hey. hey.
6: Great to finally talk to you, sir. And, uh, my pleasure, the thank, thank you for being here. Uh, yeah. Well, it's it's really been uh, something for me to express to my uh friends and even customers. I've been in so many venues that I've, uh, I've sold firearms for years at uh, gun shows from large box stores. Uh, my late father had a very large gun store. And I want to point out something that has been misstated and misrepresented time and time again, and that is that there are loopholes or that there are not background checks The NICS background check system is very comprehensive and very streamlined. Um, When you call, it's very thorough. You're calling ATF, and if they can't help you there, they kick it upstairs to the FBI, and you're getting information very quickly. And it doesn't matter if it's a gun show. Uh, The whole idea and arguments that have been made um, stating that there's loopholes and that these people are getting, um, you know, illegal guns or they got it legally and did, did what to it. Um, they are not stressing the points of the prosecution of the individuals that allowed the firearms to be taken. You know, the, uh, Columbine was a great example because, um, those guns were legally purchased, but illegally used, and we don't look at the crime being committed because nobody's looking at the the end use of the of the of the problem. And so sure, when and it's you purported, that, it.
2: no. And you, look, can, you I, can, I, can I ask one anymore? question? I, so, so I've never I've never bought a gun from a gun show, but I keep hearing, uh, as you said, about the gun show loophole. If I go to a gun show and you're selling me a gun do I have to go through a background check?
6: The exact same background check that you have to when you go to Cabela's or Walmart or any other yep. gun show.
2: So where does that come from? Where, where, what are they saying? What are they misrepresenting about gun shows?
6: It, it's the, it, because so it, it's an exclusive event. You have to pay to get into it. Um, it's not free to the public. I mean, it's, it's open to the general public, but you have sure. to pay to park. you got to pay to get in. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to find what you want to buy. A lot of times it's just thing. Yeah, still, uh, so,
2: and I'm with you, but oh. how can they then say, how can they interpret that? And I'm, and I'm totally with you. How can they interpret that as you don't, there's a gun show loophole. <laughs> Where, where's the right. loophole?
6: It, it, they make it sound like it's like a big garage sale. And yeah, the, the yep. <laughs> whole argument is full of holes, and it's not—it's it, not that way at all. They—they they, they make it like it's some kind of backwood, backwater type of event to even get tables. I mean, you—you're you, vetted to get a table. I mean, you—you've got to have mm-hmm. <laughs> all your credentials, like you would any other legitimate business. And so, uh, the, these ideas. Remember we, the the SB, uh, ten twenty two. And SR Bill 45. These were all bills under Obama's watch that were banments of, of certain like capacities and rifles and shotguns. So when the mm-hmm. president's up there going, I'm not sure what this conspiracy's about. They, they've been trying to pass all these different little tiny laws that affect the uh, basic firearms that we shoot. Um, sure. Everything from you know basic designs and shotguns that everybody's you know grown up uh, shooting and 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 they're looking at banning capacities and and of course the bills were shot down sorry no pun intended but you know overwhelmingly um but most americans most folks they they don't understand how that information is translated so when you have the leader of the free nations telling you that there is a loophole and that this is a problem most people are going to think that oh, there must be a problem then because he said it is. Can, can it's, you it's repeat after me? Operation Fast and Furious.
2: Oh, absolutely. And most people don't even know about it. Grayson, I appreciate the call, brother. Thank you very much, and thank you for um, for being a responsible gun owner and and uh, an instructor and and uh, and dealer. Um, on that last point, uh, do we have clip sixty one on the ready here? So this is. Um, we got like a minute. Let's go on and play. clip 61. This is Jimmy Kimmel the other day, man on the street interview.
0: North Korea announced that they finally were able to successfully detonate a hydrogen bomb. The world is excited. People are sending their congratulations. That's really good. Yeah, would you like to congratulate North Korea?
3: Uh, congratulations, North Korea, finally. I mean, it's about time, you know?
0: Would you like to say congratulations to North Korea? Any words of encouragement for them? You know, um, I think that, you know, I think if you do believe that... One day you can. Dreams can't come true. I think it's, a Disney, it's definitely a Disney, you know, thing to do. Would you say this is a great example of if you can dream it, you can achieve it?
4: For sure. If you can, if you believe you can do it, then you can, then you can achieve it.
0: And North Korea you... has done that with the hydrogen bomb.
4: Then that's good for them.
0: Yeah, you know, you just got to stick to your dreams, and you know, anything can come true. Yeah. So okay, you know, I'll we say there. they stuck okay. to it. So.
2: Clear, clearly, they, they, in this interview, they were led to congratulate North Korea, but it shows how easily people can be led. Why would these people not say, you know, when they say, hey, would you like to congratulate North Korea on getting a, a hydrogen bomb? Why wouldn't they say, you know what, I don't, I don't know anything about North Korea. I don't, what's a hydrogen bomb? I don't know what a hydrogen... Why wouldn't they... Do you know what I mean? As opposed to, like, they're so afraid of looking stupid or something, they're like, oh... Yeah. Great. That's awesome. You're right. That's wonderful. As opposed to having a a little bit of humility and be like, you know, I don't know. I don't know what that is. What what is it? And and asking more questions about it. It's a great lesson in how easily people are led. And that's what Grayson just said right there. He's like, you know, you get people who don't know any better. Listen to the leader of the free world, say that there's a loophole or say that you could buy guns online without a background check, which is totally not true. Like absolutely a hundred percent, not true, but people are so easily led and they want to seem like a smart, good person that they're going to follow what what the president says, what the leader of the free world says, even if it's just straight, flat out not true. Amazing. Alright, I'll read this email that I got two years ago. Uh, coming up next, we'll wrap up the show. with it. Mike Slater Show on The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word.
0: This is Mike Slater part of the next generation of talk radio on the
3: Blaze Radio Network. Slater
2: Crusaders, I'm worried. Thanks for being here. Again, I'm on top of a mountain. I don't have internet reception, so I can't get your tweets right now. I uh, apologize for that, but I'll respond tomorrow afternoon when I get back now. I um, want to read this email here. I got it two years ago yesterday. How about them apples, right? Huh? And I read it about once or twice a year whenever it pops up in conversation. Uh, this is the answer for our country. There's, there's two. I had someone call into my local show yesterday and Kristen... And she calls in from time to time, and she's wonderful because she always asks really good questions, and she's really genuine and really honest, and she's not a hack about it. <laughs> you know, she's like, well, you know what? What should we do? Like, it's just really genuine. She's got a great heart about it, and she talked about, uh, you know, gun control. She's like, what should we do about gun control? Like, I get it. I'm with you. I don't like what the president's saying, but but what should we do? And, and it's a we always have this desire to do something. Something has to be done. And just we've been trained over the last couple of decades that that something probably has to be a law or a bill or some executive action. Right? It's got to come from government. I really just challenge you this year, especially to, to break that assumption, break that mold. Maybe the thing that we have to do with guns doesn't have to, anything to do with the gun as much as what it is inside of someone that would ever lead them to pick up a gun, point it at someone, and pull the trigger and kill them. So really the gun control problem is about people. It's about families. It's gangs, drugs, and families. So drugs are really about gangs, and gangs are really about broken families. So it's about broken families. So that's not, that's a, that's not satisfying at all. <laughs> right? like, no politician will ever run on that. You know, right. We talked earlier. Uh, the other day, I talked to the founder of Five Hour Energy Drink. And he's taking his billions of dollars and investing it in um, creating these incredible world changing technologies clean water, clean energy technology. It's amazing what he's doing. There's a little mini documentary on YouTube called Billions and Change. It's 45 minutes, free. It's great. Uh, watch it, it's a lot of fun. Um, so he's going to change the world. And uh, his whole thing is I make complicated things simple. You know, and. I don't know, we have this desire to make things more complicated, but I think the solution for gun control is strengthen the family. And I know that may be difficult, but it's, sim- it's a simple solution. <laughs> Does that make sense? It doesn't have to be any more complicated than, than fixing families. That's my gun control measure. So not satisfying, I know. But it's the truth. I know it's long-term. Here's another solution. This one's from Pat. Now I'll get to the email. So I got it two years ago yesterday. He said, Slater, my wife and I have three kids. They're now 17, 19, and 26. Again, that was two years ago. We took the mystery and the fear out of scary things. Since some of the biggest fears of parents is that they would be shot or shoot themselves with a gun, whether at our home or that of a friend, we had a plan and decided to be proactive very early in their lives. When they were very young kids, we uh, got each of them Red Ryder BB guns. We taught them to shoot that initially, then progressed to smaller frame 22 calibers and, on, and so on. What a lot of people think is that if you hide guns from kids, they will be safe. They don't realize that when they go to a friend's house, they might, the friend might pull out his dad's pistol. Curiosity takes over, and one of them is shot. Our kids knew instinctively what to do. I've seen that very thing many times after 31 years with the fire service. In addition, we taught them to swim instead of keeping them from pools and making sure that every gate was locked. Such a great point. We taught them how to be safe with fire instead of hiding every match and telling them that fire was evil. For instance, after a thorough discussion about what fire can do, we literally sat with them in front of an outdoor fire pit gave them a box of matches and let them light as many as they wanted discussing everything they need to know about the dangers of fire and of course they were very interested as all kids are with all three of our kids they were done lighting with matches Uh, they were done with lighting matches well before they were all gone they were simply bored and they were told that at any time they wanted to light matches let either mom or dad know and we would oblige same with going out shooting With each of these three scary things, guns, pools, and fire, we confronted each one, one at a time, one kid at a time, age-appropriate. And before all of them were five or six, they had respect for all three. They all remained safe and respectful of each of these scary things. Mom and Dad knew that these three things will never be a problem in their lives, And we're very proud of our kids. Being proactive instead of being afraid is in your kid's best interest. I love that. Being proactive instead of being afraid is in your kid's best interest. Now, we all know that that's the truth. But here's the problem. Being proactive, you being proactive instead of being afraid is not in our politicians' best interest. It is in their best interest for you to be reactive or unprepared and afraid. It's in their best interest. one i am going to take an early break here. Um, we'll come back, wrap up. I'd like to, uh, I want to offer a Toast. want to offer a toast to um to three different kinds of people we'll end on this good note coming up next mike slater show the blaze radio network spread
3: the word this is mike slater on the blaze radio network
0: 888 900 3393.
2: Mike Slater is on. Slater Cassandra's got a couple minutes here. I want to uh, give a toast to. uh, Let's do three different types of people. Oh, look at these gentlemen coming in here. Come on in, guys. Come on in. We've never done a show for for an audience like this before. (laughs) The surrounding crowd. Well, guys, listen. Not, nothing is as more important as what I'm going to say is what we can all say together. Why, why don't we bring a microphone into our uh, our group Bible meeting after after this group here? Is that all that's happening here? This is the this is the plan. You're not even going to stick around. You're just, you're just 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 coming in to bother. <laughs> oh, I wish I my phone. We should video this. Ah, uh, gentlemen, I'll see you down at the skeet shooting where I'll dominate all of you.
6: <laughs>
2: you're good man thanks brother <laughs> so i'm in a co- let's do a little background here uh i'm at a uh men's retreat for my church up on the top of a mountain and these guys just got done with one of their sessions i'm doing the show from up here i'm in a little conference room they decided to come in and uh bother me um all right let's do a quick toast now a shorter toast to three different types of people first the uh benghazi movie that's coming out this weekend next weekend please make plans to go see it it's called 13 hours i think it's going to be really important i don't know if it's going to be a good movie i'm not a huge michael bay fan necessarily um but it's going to get this uh story of benghazi outside of the echo chamber another reason i'm grateful for this movie echo chamber meaning a lot of people are going to hear the word benghazi who have never heard the word benghazi before and then they're going to start asking questions and you'll be able there you'll be there to be able to answer them um one reason I'm grateful for that this movie's coming out too is it gives an opportunity for three of the Americans who were there to make their media rounds. Uh, did you see the guys? They were on Megyn Kelly, and I saw them on Hannity too. I saw them on both those shows. I'm sure they were on a couple others. And they're amazing. They're strong men. They're they're soft spoken, humble, strong, unassuming men. And if you saw them in the grocery store, you'd think nothing about them. And, and then you hear their story, and you're like, oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, tell me, tell me more about when your arm was ripped out of its socket and you were shot a few times and you kept fighting to save your fellow Americans. Because, you know, that, that sounds totally normal. So go ahead, tell me a little. Like, these people are amazing. They're amazing men, and I'm glad they get highlighted in the movie and they get uh, make the media rounds so people can see them in real life. So I'm grateful that those heroes exist. I'm also grateful, uh, we mentioned a few times the founder of 5-Hour Energy Drink and how he's taking his billions and investing it in uh, creating some world-changing technologies. And he told the story about how he first hired engineers to create some of these technologies, but he went to go see them in their offices one day, and they were all just typing on a computer. And he said, what are you doing? He's like, oh, filling out these reports. So he's like, well, this is not what I want to get done. So he fired them all. And he hired people he calls tinkerers, the type of people who work out of their garage because the founder of 5-Hour Energy Drink said, these guys, these tinkerers, they're the ones who have built America, and they're the ones who changed the world more than anyone. The tinkerers. And he says, you put a bunch of tinkerers together and you put them in a glorified super garage with an unlimited budget, and you'll be amazed at the problems they can solve. We're so ungrateful to all the th- the things created by tinkerers and therefore the tinkerers themselves. I'm grateful for the strong men of our military and I'm grateful for the tinkerers of our country. One more type of person that I'm grateful for. James Lilacs was walking around the grocery store the other day with his daughter, his 12-year-old daughter. I, I, I don't know if she's 12. I imagine her being 12 in this story. And they walked down an aisle, and the entire section of this aisle was dedicated to crackers. And James picked up a box of expensive gourmet crackers. And he said to his daughter, look. And can you just imagine this scene like dad embarrassing 12-year-old daughter in the middle of the grocery store? Look, daughter, this is someone's livelihood, holding up a box of crackers. Someone got a loan, started a business, hired people, paid someone to design this. All because he or she wanted to make a special cracker. And here it is, next to all the other special crackers. And this is just the special cracker department in the cheese department. There's another special cracker section in the cracker aisle. Now this person, he might fail, he might win. But you can do that here. You can try. And if someone says, why do we need so many cracker choices? This is why. What, do you want someone, uh, some governing cracker bureau to say, no, don't make crackers, make pretzels. But I don't want to make pretzels. I want to make crackers. Oh, sorry, we got enough crackers. But I have this new taste. Sorry, no crackers. And dad goes on, he says, no, and you can imagine the daughter's like, dad, now imagine this, everything here. The other store down the street has the stuff that this store doesn't. And the other chain carries an entirely different line of specialty stuff. So dad's going on and on about the crackers. And finally the daughter says, all right, can we try them? And dad says, heck no, they're overpriced, waste of money. But be grateful you're an American. America's the greatest country in the world because we have a system that allows people like that guy to make a specialty cracker. I'm grateful for people who say, I can do it better. I want to make a video, we call those people dreamers, by the way. I want to make a video next week about uh, Boris Yeltsin going grocery shopping in Houston. We've, we've told this story many times. It was 1989, I think, and he came to America to visit the Space Center in Houston. And he looked around the Space Center. He's like, oh, yeah, okay, great. It's been spaceship, computer, blah, blah, blah. And they were driving somewhere on his hotel or something. And they drove by Randall's Grocery Store. And he said, hold on, stop the car, stop the caravan. Can we go inside? Completely unscheduled. And he's roaming the aisles of this grocery store in absolute amazement. absolutely Just stunned. Not only at the amount of food, but the quality of it and the selection of it. There, there's not just cereal there. And there's not just 100 boxes of cereal. There's 50 different kinds of cereal. He just couldn't fathom what he saw, and that's where he realized that this whole communist thing uh, isn't working and will never work. That was the moment, not when he went to go visit the space center, when he went to the grocery store. Now, I told that story a bunch because I love going to the grocery store, and I think about that every time I go to the grocery store. It's just capitalism all over the place. It's crazy. But uh, I bring it up today because a video just emerged of what a Soviet grocery store looked like around that time. And it is just as bad as you can imagine. Just, just empty shelves. There's a little bit of meat, but it's you, you wouldn't feed it to your dog. I'm not even kidding. There's cardboard boxes stacked up. I don't even know what that is. Like, just I don't like. It's it's all, the cashier behind a cage, <laughs> right? You got it's like your you gotta, I don't know, ration cards and I, I don't know. It's worse than a prison commissary. It's awful. So I want to make a YouTube video and show the difference. And I want to show it because I want people to not just be grateful for our economic system. And not just be grateful for our political system that allows people to be free. But we also have to be grateful for the people. The people who work to achieve their full potential and make our lives better in the process. That's my toast to the serviceman, the tinkerers, and the dreamers. Slater Radio on Twitter. I can't respond right now. I have no cell reception. But I will tomorrow when I get back down to the bottom side of the mountain. All right, I'm out of here. I'm going to go skeet shooting and uh, get redemption for last year's loss of the skeet shooting battle at this men's retreat (laughs) wish me luck we'll see you next
3: week spread the word you're listening to mike slater
0: part of the next generation of talk radio
3: on the blaze radio network